Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Hope your day's been going well. I hope our time together is going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. I've got the, my Bible open to 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Of course, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, because I have a feeling there's some of you today that maybe are not in the best of circumstances, and You've got a lot of pressure on you and uh, problems that you feel are right there at the doorstep. But just uh, know that you can give thanks in the circumstances that God is with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you, and he'll always be with you. So we're going to have a great hour today. Rob Blue is going to be, like I said, joining me in just about 30 seconds. And then Anthony DeStefano will be uh, coming on the program. He's going to talk about his book called The Travel Guide to Heaven. Sounds kind of interesting. I know I'm going first class. I've decided... For sure. I think you are, too, which is good news. But Rob Bluey is, of course, the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to learn more about Rob and all of his colleagues that write beautifully there. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, it's great to be with you, Bill. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for sharing that, those words of, of wisdom there. Um, on this Thanksgiving week, I can't think of a, a better way to start the show. Well, thanks, Rob. Now, will Americans be celebrating Thanksgiving 100 years from now? <laughs> well, yeah, I was hoping you'd start there because our, our, our colleague and friend, uh, Jared, Jared Stepman, Stepman, who's been yes. a guest on your show uh, before, uh, has a really fascinating piece that looks at this current debate that our country finds itself in overall Thanksgiving of all things. I mean, we've seen what's happened to Columbus Day, uh, mm-hmm. even in uh, in my sc- uh, kid's school. We were no longer able to call it Columbus Day. Um, and Jarrett sur- surmises that this is the next target, uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we've seen that uh, Howard Zinn and those who are accolades of him um, basically want to tarnish the image of the pilgrims and, uh, and what happened when the Mayflower arrived on American soil. Uh, 400 years ago. And at a time when we we should be celebrating that 400th anniversary, um, we're not doing it. We're not paying it much attention at all, unless we're doing it ourselves in our own homes, like I've done with with my kids. But I think it's uh, really disappointing to see some of the things and the attacks uh, that have have come after uh, after the pilgrims. Of course, the Mayflower Compact, which was just a 200-word contract in a sense, uh, it affirmed the rule of law and set into motion uh, what eventually would be become, you know, our great country. So, uh, Bill, I think that uh, there is a war on Thanksgiving right now. It's it's perhaps not the war that <laughs> your listeners were thinking about. There's another war going on, I think, with regard to whether or not we families are allowed to celebrate Thanksgiving. But the concept of Thanksgiving and, and giving thanks and celebrating those pilgrims who who joined together with uh, with the Native Americans 400 years ago, 399 years ago, mm-hmm. um, because remember, the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. Yeah. So, we look at Columbus Day, and that's called Indigenous Peoples Day now. Is that what we refer Correct. to that? And then um, Thanksgiving probably is, in fact, on the chopping block as far as the left is concerned. Well, that is that is the worry because, in part, um, 
there's been this image painted of the pilgrims as as people as evil people, which mm-hmm. is a, quite a different portrayal than than I think what we grew up learning you and you and me and uh, and I think it's uh, it's also not consistent with what actually history teaches us about about them. Um, you know, we've heard the stories of, of Squanto, the the mm-hmm. Indian chief who came and befriended the pilgrims, right? And so I I, I don't fully understand why the left has to take all of these things that. Uh, that have been so um, instrumental in our in our country's founding, going way back even before uh, you know the, the, the seventeen seventy six in this case, and and try to destroy it. and uh, And I think that that's really unfortunate. And as people like Ilhan Omar, who who have attacked uh, their fellow colleagues in the in the U.S. Congress, like Tom Cotton, all Tom Cotton was trying to do when he gave a floor speech about. Thanksgiving and the Pilgrims was to recognize this historic anniversary 400 years. And instead, uh, he finds himself uh, under attack from those on the left. And I think it's it's truly unfortunate at a time when when so many people are calling for for unity and unifying our country that our political leaders are squabbling like this. Mm-hmm. Rob, I don't know a lot about the Mayflower Compact, so maybe you could talk about that and the effects it had on uh, economic freedom and private property. Well, definitely, and we've done a. We've been trying to do our part, Bill. I should say at, at both the Daily Signal and at the Heritage Foundation to really educate Americans and and probably the younger generation in, included about uh, what the the meaning is behind the Mayflower Compact um, and this 400th anniversary uh, of this document. Um, Angela Saylor, who's who's a colleague of mine, just did an excellent piece on the Daily Signal, which outlines all of this. And and essentially, what it is is that the Pilgrim wrote an agreement and and voluntarily signed it that uh, that basically said they saw themselves as morally equal uh, to to those that uh, that were in in the United in, in Great Britain at the time mm-hmm. uh, and Bill I think that the significance here is they uh, they came to this country as as we all know to, for religious freedom I mean they were trying to escape. Uh, what they uh, found in their own country was, you know, a, a, a challenging circumstance to, to freely practice what they believed in. And uh, in order to do so, uh, in order to be granted this this permission to come uh, to uh, to America, uh, they they agreed to this co- contract. And so they, you know, it was certain exchange of labor and, and, and goods and and it was the basis for for what we today call economic freedom, and uh, and why I think so many people have been able to to thrive throughout the globe uh, when they're given this opportunity. And so the Mayflower Compact um, is essentially uh, one of the first documents that uh, we should celebrate because it did give so many people that came after it an opportunity um, for that economic liberty that they have today. Rob, the traditions uh, way. Uh, loudly in our in our heads, even if it's not historically accurate, whatever traditions we learn, they they stay pretty strong, don't they? They they certainly do. Uh, you know, traditions are, um, are are an important part of life. After all, I mean, we <laughs> we as uh, as individuals, I think we, we like routines. Um, let's face it, uh, you know, whether it's a daily routine or an annual routine, and and frankly, a lot of Americans' traditions are being. Um, disrupted this year because of COVID-19. In some cases, I think those who are, are more susceptible to the virus are, are taking the precautions that they, they should. Uh, I know not all of our family, my family, is, is going to be able to get together and see each other this year. We'll try to do things virtually, but mm-hmm. Bill, you and I both know that you know it's just not quite the same. No, but, it's uh, not. But we're going to 
we're going to do our best to, uh, to, to have those conversations. Um, you know, and we have to look at the blessings. I mean, I, I feel really blessed that, you know, since, since mid-March, I've been able to spend more time with my family by working from home. I don't mm-hmm. have a, a commute back and forth to the office. Now there's some trade-offs with that. Um, there's some trade-offs with, you know, family. I've, got some relatives in Pennsylvania that won't be making a trip to Virginia this year to celebrate Thanksgiving. But, you know, we'll look for other ways to try to, to, to maintain those connections and, and, and traditions. And, uh, and the good news is that I think that there's, there's hope on the horizon with, with now three companies coming out with positive results on, on the vaccine. I think that uh, by this time next year, uh, hopefully we'll be in a position where we can get back to some of those traditions. That'd be wonderful. Uh, we both uh, have had a chance to talk to, and I'm, I'm guessing we both like Samuel Rodriguez very much. He's an amazing guy. You had a chance to uh, interview him recently. I did, and uh, he uh, he is somebody who we worked with closely uh, on on our, our COVID nineteen recommendations as part of the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission earlier this year. But the thing that we were talking about currently is um, is his new book, which is From Survive to Thrive, Live a Holy, Healed, Healthy, Happy, Humble, Hungry, and Honoring Life. Uh, <laughs> quite an alliteration yeah. there. Uh, but he told this amazing story in the interview about how his daughter, who is 29, um, ended up in, in ICU fighting for her life uh, because she uh, contracted COVID-19 and how this, this, opportun- this, this moment, this event in his life uh, really drove him to, to write this book and to talk and, and hopefully provide uh, some hope for others about how they can overcome the challenges that we, we currently face in this season and, uh, and, and you know, think about the, the positives in the future uh, being a brighter place for, for all of us. And so um, it, is, uh, it is quite um, a, an uplifting story. I always love interviewing uh, the Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. Um, he's somebody who also talked to us about the challenges that we face right now, Bill, with our churches and uh, with so many of them being forced to move to a virtual environment or, or others having to uh, not have any kind of in-person worship. We've fortunately been able to, to find a church where we can uh, still celebrate um, on, a, on a weekly basis, a little early on Sunday at eight o'clock for the kids, <laughs> uh, but we have the Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. there. Uh, but, but churches in some cases, and in California where Reverend Rodriguez is based, um, have have been ordered uh, have, have been basically deemed non-essential, and mm. he argues that churches are essential. And Bill, I agree with him on that point. I, I think that that's absolutely uh, critical, particularly when you look at some of the other things that have been deemed essential, like liquor stores and bars and restaurants. And you have to wonder uh, we if we've got our priorities out of whack here. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm glad that. Um... Pastor Rodriguez reminded us that there is suffering on this side of eternity and that uh, we as believers have uh, strength to to endure any kind of difficulty that comes our way because of the strength that God gives us. So it's it's a good reminder always. It, it certainly is. And, and I think we need to look uh, to people like him at, at this time when we all uh, face, face challenges. I mean, particularly those individuals who have, have contracted COVID-19. I heard from a Daily Signal reader today who, who just got out of the ER. Um, he, he, I knew last week he, he wrote to me and shared his story about how he was doing well. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a uh, new day dawned and he found himself in a situation where mm. he needed medical help. So 
Bill, I think that that's one of the, the, the scary things about COVID-19 and this particular virus is that it's not something we've uh, we've encountered before and it and the symptoms really seem to hit people differently. So I encourage your listeners, uh, you know, to take those steps we've been talking about week in and week out uh, to protect themselves, but also to seek help when they need it. And and sometimes it's it's help uh, from a medical standpoint, and sometimes it's help spiritually. And and find those people in your life who can who can provide that support. Yeah, I agree. Rob Blue is my guest. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, lots more. Head over to DailySignal.com if you want to read any of these stories that we're chatting about right now. They're all over there and available uh, at DailySignal.com. Rob Blue is my guest, and I will be back in just 90 seconds. Back with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Always head over to dailysignal.com to learn more about what's being uh, written over there. And, Rob, there's an interesting uh, story on how academia and society may be going their separate ways. That's absolutely correct. We, uh, we featured a story from a professor, um, uh, professor emeritus now at George Washington University who talks about how uh, when he arrived in Washington, D.C. in 1965, uh, the, the landscape was really barren for, for conservatives like himself. Um, and, and over the course of the, the decades to come, it, conservatives and Republicans really um, came into their own in Washington and, and uh, through the presidency, through, through Congress, you saw great growth in conservative ideas. Um, and yet at the same time, academia went in the exact opposite direction. Uh, conservatives were ostracized. They were excluded. They were not hired. And he talks about his own experience. And I think, Bill, this is something that's probably on the minds of a lot of parents uh, because, you know, as they're thinking about their own children and uh, and the experiences they're going to have. I mean, we were just talking about uh, this war on Thanksgiving in the previous segment. And and this is exactly the type of thing that, that so many uh, in college are learning. They're, they're being assigned books like Howard Zinn, which was I, which I was assigned when I was in college, and uh, and they're being taught, uh, you know, th- these these particular views about America. And so I think that it's really important for us to to pay attention to academia. There are some uh, conservative oriented or Christian oriented uh, higher education institutions out there uh, for 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 parents now to consider. And I think that those are alternatives are are really important. Because sometimes uh, you'll find yourself in a situation where there's literally in a political department, nobody who's representing any sort of conservative view. I know from experience, uh, that was what it was like for me. And, uh, and it really took uh, dedication, I think, to uh, a set of ideas and, and understanding them and, and debating them. And I felt like I came out of college actually a stronger conservative as a result of that. But, um, but not everybody you know, has that same experience. And so I think that this professor's uh, tale is, is an interesting one for, for people to read and to consider. Mm-hmm. Some of the statistics he put out in this article are very interesting. Uh, he says over the previous 32 years, the Democrats occupied the White House for 24 years and both houses of Congress for 28 years. And he said, for all practical purposes, Washington and national politics were a Democratic Party monopoly. 
That's right. And and he also talks about the media landscape and how there were so um, there weren't nearly as many voices uh, as part of the conversation or debate. Right. There weren't think tanks like the Heritage Foundation that right. existed. And so I think that uh, one of the things that, that we need to remember is even in this time when we're frustrated with social media platforms, uh, we're really living at a time when people have access to so much more information than they once did. Uh, there, there are uh, – well – Look at the two of us, Bill. I mean, the Daily Signal being a, a, a news outlet that, that started six years ago, Faith Radio being a Christian uh, station that, that takes the news, the good news to so many uh, people. I mean, these are these are truly uh, momentous developments. I think they give the American people much more choice in terms of their own media diet. And uh, and that's a good thing. It's good that we have more, more choice and opportunity um, to, to find this news. And I think that's one of the reasons why you, those statistics that you just cited are are a reality. If mm-hmm. you think about when Rush Limbaugh got his start in 1988 and, and what were to come in the decades that follow, it's just truly amazing to see the growth. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the media just maybe in the last four years. How did it change just in the last four years? Well, it, it, it changed a lot. Uh, we featured an interview with Sean Spicer, who is uh, one of the anchors at Newsmax. And uh, Sean tells the Daily Signal about Newsmax's uh, just tremendous growth um, in, in recent days and weeks, uh, in the aftermath of the election. Uh, Newsmax is, is one example of how the media has changed. I think that so many people have access um, through, through the Internet, uh, through streaming uh, networks, through, through radio, um, to through social media platforms, we shouldn't forget about them, to have a conversation directly and, and not necessarily have to rely on gatekeepers for information anymore. And I think that's one of the things that, that Donald Trump helped usher in in the course of his presidency. Um, you, you've already started to see how that's changing um, under, under Joe Biden. Uh, Donald Trump was famous for making these big announcements on Twitter, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you would find out who he was naming to the cabinet on Twitter, or in some cases, who he was firing on Twitter. Uh, and we're starting to see it go back to the traditional way where, you know, the, the president-elect uh, Biden's uh, cabinet uh, choices are, are are now leaked to the media first and, and not necessarily announced via a tweet. And so we'll see how that evolves over the, the coming years, Bill. But I think one thing is here to stay, and that is uh, Americans are going to expect to be much more involved in these conversations. They now have access uh, to, to talk to journalists directly. I think that's a good thing. Uh, it's a way to hold them accountable and make sure that they're doing honest, uh, honest work and, uh, and, and providing credible reporting. Mm-hmm. All right. Tony Perkins wrote a great uh, story at the Daily Signal about uh, children that are confused um, or going through some uh, gender fluidity issues. Well, this has been a, a big issue of late, in mm-hmm. part because of some censorship. Uh, boy, I, I tell you, I do not know why it is that this issue uh, inspires uh, the left uh, to, to take drastic measures. We've talked about on your show before how the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation have uh, produced content, uh, which we find very helpful, based on science, uh, from doctors, uh, people who have been uh, formerly transgender, uh, and all of that's been censored by YouTube and other platforms that simply don't want that information out there. And uh, and yes, I think that in this case, uh, Tony Perkins shines the light on on a recent incident involving Abigail Schreier, who has um, who's written a book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Girls, which Target, of all places, uh, pulled from the shelves after uh, after facing some backlash. And I think that we need to make sure that we we call attention to, to these issues. There is 
Uh, this is not something that we need to cover up and hide. This is a, is a worthwhile conversation uh, to be having. Um, it, it's something that parents, I think, who know their children best um, should have access to. And the fact that so many platforms, whether it be social media platforms or in this case, a, 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 a retail business, want to sweep it under the rug and hide it makes you just leaves you asking bigger questions about what's uh, what's so wrong with uh, with having uh, this this content out there. Mm-hmm. When you start to see uh, children uh, eight, nine years old questioning their their uh, gender, you start to think, well, you got to come alongside these kids and. And just be patient and loving, and you don't you don't race them to a doctor to get uh, hormones. Well, that's right. I mean, a, a parent who's lived with a child for eight or nine years, and then you take them to a, a doctor, and all of a sudden the doctor tells you, you know, <laughs> they've, you know, I mean, got some diagnosis for them. I mean, I think that it, you know, you you just have to, you know treat these things a little bit more delicately than I think maybe some, in some cases, the media would have you believe. And I think that that's what's problematic in in some of these instances and why it's important to seek out, uh, you know, different perspectives and not just necessarily uh, rely on one opinion, which is, is again, what I think that so many on the left uh, want you to believe. And I think that's why they want to shut down some of this other, other content and debate. So, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why why, why we want to publish people like Tony Perkins, uh, Walt Heyer, who who is the individual whose whose mm-hmm. remarks were censored by YouTube and we featured earlier this year. And so um, so we're committed to doing that and making sure the parents have access to the information and resources they need, um, even if it does uh, get us a strike on our YouTube account. I think that uh, it's important that we keep uh, we keep to make sure that uh, that information is out there, Bill. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you think in the last four years that journalists have more or less kind of dropped the facade that they're just trying to be objective reporters? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. Bill, uh, <laughs> I think it it's it's come out much more clearly in the last few years, in part because of who occupied the White House, and there was such a con a conflict, a constant conflict between. Uh, President Trump and those in, in the media, but I remember from day one of intro to journalism at, at, at Ithaca College, um, way back in 1997, mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, the professor said there is no such thing as objectivity in journalism. Um, we all have our biases, and there's no reason why. Basically, we shouldn't do uh, activist type journalism. And I think what you're seeing today is the result of decades of being ta- of journalism schools teaching that that mentality, where uh, where people put their biases first and sometimes the facts second. And I think that's uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in a situation today, but you see the consequences of that bill, and that's trust in media being as low as it is um, across the board, because basically, uh, you know, there are those individuals who, who simply have lost faith and lost trust that they can count on journalists to tell the truth. And I think that there's a lot of work that journalists need to do um, to regain that trust. Mm-hmm. And is a 24-hour news cycle uh, better for us or worse for us? Uh, well, I think it certainly raises our anxiety. There's no yeah, doubt about no doubt that. About I mean, that. You, you can't you can't go a, a, a minute without having some sort of news to break. Uh, one thing that I've heard uh, Joe Biden say or, or reporters say about him is that he's intentionally dull because he wants to get away from the the constant uh, the constant news uh, cycle that we've been yeah. going through. So we'll see, Bill. We'll keep an eye yeah. if that's actually well, that, what happens. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robin. Have a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving to you and your family. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all your listeners. You bet. Thanks. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal.
you can head over to dailysignal.com. After the break, we'll be back with Anthony Stefano talking about his book about heaven. Be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be uh, inviting Anthony Stefano back to the program. He has written a number of books. He's a best-selling author, and the book we're going to chat about today is called The Travel Guide to Heaven. I know everyone's interested right away, because who isn't interested in The Travel Guide to Heaven? Anthony, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Appreciate yeah, it. No, you're an absolute delight. Now, last time we talked about hell, so we started off on kind of the difficult subject, and today it's going to be a little bit more pleasurable. C.S. Lewis says, plan on having fun in heaven. That's right. And uh, my first book, A Travel Guide to Heaven, uh, was all based on that premise that, that, that the books on heaven out there are missing many times one element, and that is fun. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's the happiest place on earth. Forget about Disney World. Right. Uh, heaven is. And I think that at this time of year, especially, you know, Christmas is a joyful time. But uh, so many people who have lost loved ones, uh, you know, for them, this becomes a, a time of, uh, where their grieving gets even more intense. And it's like a knife wound in mm-hmm. them. And I think it's very important and very helpful for those of us, especially who, who are Christian, to, to, to think and meditate about this most joyful of topics, heaven, and what it means in terms of us seeing those departed loved ones again. Yeah, we're all, you know, longing to be in that place called heaven where we can be uh, in the presence of the Lord and uh, to be in the fellowship of the saints and to find out uh, the, the great tr- travel trip that's ahead of all of us. And nobody's, nobody's getting out of this, uh, departing from this earth, but it's important that you have uh, a right relationship with God in order to take this, this first-class flight to heaven. I'd like to you know, just talk a little bit about the traditions that people have heard and, and have stuck with over the years that are just they're not actual biblical descriptions of heaven. Well, yes, people uh, they they sort of tend to think of heaven in terms of you know cloudy, uh, you know black and white uh, angels with long flowing robes, you know, and and those are very kind of cartoonish mm-hmm, uh, visions are. of heaven. And one of the reasons why they fall into that uh, is because the actual theological definitions that you read in the theological textbooks, you know, when you, you hear about heaven being, you know, uh, the beatific vision, some people have had that, heard that term, you know, about, you know, the awesome majesty of being in front of God and being able to see him. It's so hard for us to understand, you know, and, and so we sink into these kind of cartoonish notions. Uh, and that's okay, but, but we, as Christians, we have to understand that our belief in heaven is founded also on this real, very concrete principle, this concrete belief in the resurrection. And that's what my book, A Travel Guide to Heaven, is all about. It's about the fact that someday, someday after the resurrection, we're not just going to be uh, pure spirits. You know, we're not, we're not angels. You know, angels are pure spirits. Human beings are not angels. We're not meant to be angels. Certainly after we die, there's a certain period where our body is, will be disconnected from our soul. But at the end, uh, after the, the resurrection and the last judgment, we'll have bodies again, glorified bodies. As St. Paul said, you know, Christ represents the first fruit. 
You know, Christ rose from the dead, and that's what's in store for us too. And 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 by by looking at how Christ was after the resurrection, that gives us a clue, pulls back the veil a little bit, so we can see how we are going to be after the resurrection. And and that heaven is not just going to be a spiritual place, but it's going to have a, a physical component to it. And that's the basis of my book, and I think it's the basis of why people are so consoled by the idea of heaven. Well, it's it's the most exciting thing I could ever possibly think of. You know, uh, there's nothing in this earth that compares to even remotely the joy and the glory of being in that uh, reality, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hurry myself to that that place. But it's it's something that people should, in their heart of hearts, always be secretly saying, "I can't wait to go be in the presence of the Lord." That's right. I think if people meditated on heaven uh, just one minute a day, <laughs> I think that it would it would radically increase their, their the quality of their lives and their hope. You know, everything we see on earth that's wonderful, a beautiful sunset, the smile on a child's face, uh, beautiful music that we hear, mm-hmm. and it, all of those are like dim reflections of God. They're, they really are. They're reflections of different aspects of God. God is the truth. God is is beauty. You know, God is goodness. What we see on earth are reflections of that, and a reflection can be very attractive and wonderful. But imagine when you, when you see the source itself, when you're in the presence not just of, of something beautiful, but in the presence of beauty. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be overwhelming to us, and it's hard for us to understand that because we're earthbound. But again, meditating on heaven a little bit every day is going to be en- is, is enough to give people a lot of hope. You know, Anthony, we never, ever get tired of beauty. You, no. you know, people go and spend all kinds of money to go stare at the ocean, and they do it for two weeks straight, eight hours a day, and they're never tired of looking at the ocean. Just like they're never tired of laughter. There are various things that people never get tired of. They <laughs> never get tired of happiness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people think that, oh, heaven is going to be boring. After, I mean, you spend them, maybe heaven will be nice for 100 or so years, but not after 500 or 600 years. Then I'll get bored. But no, you never get tired of laughing. You never get tired of, of feeling wonderful and feeling happy. And, and in terms of beauty, think about this. You, you know, we, we have on this earth, all the, all the beautiful things are all based on like four or primary, primary colors mixed together. Well, do you think God has just four primary colors on his palette? No. I mean, someday in heaven, <laughs> no. after the resurrection, it's going to be bursting with color. It's not going to be black and white. There's going to be new colors that we've never even imagined. Heaven is going to be beautiful. It's going to be a, an amazing feast for the eyes. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't limit ourselves to just you know, green, you know, blue, red. God's got a lot more imagination, and we'll see all those colors someday in heaven. And what our ears are going to hear, what some of the sounds and the praise and the worship and the music is going to be uh, inconceivable. Again, the music, think of how music is enough to, to, to lift someone's spirits. You know, there, there's a saying that there, there's, a, there's a line that goes from the ear to the soul that does not pass through the, the mind. In other words, there are, you can learn something, you can know something without analyzing it. You can hear a piece of music and your soul can be elevated. It could cheer you up. You know, same thing goes with vision. There's a line that goes from the eyes to the soul that doesn't pass through the, the mind, through the brain. And so in heaven, heaven is going to be filled with music. 
you know, all kinds of music. And one, one sound that we're going to hear in heaven is the sounds of our loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I speak about this in the book a lot, and especially, you know, people who, who their mothers have died, their fathers have died. Well, someday you're going to hear their voices again. They're going to have actual voices in heaven. They're not going to be just spirits. They're not going to be like cast for the ghost. You're going to hear your, 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 your mother's voice, your father's voice. They're going to, and you're going, to, you're going to be able to, to feel the warmth of their skin. You're going to be able to look into their eyes. You're going to be able to talk to them. When Jesus uh, rose from the dead, he, he ate you know, a piece of fish. Mm-hmm. You know, he breathed. You know, that when he represents the first fruit. So we're going to be able to do those things when we have glorified bodies in heaven. Anthony, uh, what do you think it'll be like interacting with all of God's creation, uh, with uh, well, things like animals and everything else? Well, I, I, you know, there are people out there who don't believe that animals will be in heaven, and they'll give you theological reasons. You know, <clears throat> Christ didn't die to redeem the animals and things like that. But you know what? Those people who think that, I think they really miss the big point. Mm-hmm. God can do anything God wants. Okay, and if he wants to animals to be in heaven, animals will be in heaven. You know, God, Christ came to bring us life, and, and and so that we would have life more abundantly. So heaven is going to be a place of abundant life. You know, we picture heaven often as having you know beautiful foliage, trees, and flowers. Well, do you think God is going to give the gift of life to some shrub and then deny the same <laughs> gift to a puppy? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you really think that's the kind of God we have? God is going to gratuitously fill heaven with all kinds of life. I think every pet you ever had is ever going to be in heaven. Every, uh, every puppy, cat, You're making a lot of friends right now, Anthony. Well, I believe that. You know, it's not there. It's not, I mean, it just it's, it makes sense based on who God is and how much he loves us. And that, you know, why would something on earth be happier than heaven? There are mm-hmm. people on earth who can't be happy without their, their, their pets. Well, why should heaven not, you know, not be filled with animals? Yeah, well, if, I'm sure if you need your pet in heaven, I wouldn't be surprised God would be providing it. That's I mean, right. there was, there, but it is, like you say in the book, it is a, a place of unlimited pleasure, unlimited happiness, and unlimited joy. You know, so when we are in that environment, I don't know how we don't uh, jump up and down and go, okay, this is the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, well, again, you know, just being with God, this is the the greatest source of joy, but it's also the hardest to understand. You really have to meditate about this, the idea that if something on earth, a piece of music makes you happy, or if looking at a beautiful sunset or looking at your child's face makes you happy, those are reflections of God himself. So if you're in the presence of the source of that joy, Mm. then imagine what you're going to feel then. You know, and, you know, it, it, your, your heart's going to stand still. Yeah, it's, it is going to be um, the, the greatest. Well, of course, I have no point of reference. So here I am trying to talk about heaven in a way that I have no skill or ability to do so. Um, the, the Bible talks about heaven as a banquet. Mm-hmm. You know, a ban- there's so much banquet imagery. In other words, a feast, a feast of, of, for the senses, a feast for the soul. It's abundance. Those, those are the kinds of words that Scripture uses. And so, you know, as, as Augustine said, you know, uh, you know, just let your imagination run wild. You know, if it's good, then it's going to be in heaven. Eliminate, what he said was eliminate the, the evil and then imagine what you will. In other words, it's not going to be the bad, but there's going to be more good than we can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, Anthony, our finite minds cannot 
uh, we cannot deal with things that are just so incomprehensible, like God had no beginning. And I go, well, everything's got a beginning, right? But God has no beginning, and heaven has no ending. And I think, well, God will be revealing parts of himself to us throughout all of eternity, and it's going to be one amazing experience after another. And that's why we'll always be learning Mm -hmm. in heaven. Some people, they quote scripture and say, well, there'll be no more questions in heaven. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that. That means there'll be no more questions about what happened on earth. You know, will finally the questions that will be resolved, why did my my son have that terrible disease? Why did my father die? Why did I get that job? All those questions will be resolved. But you just hit on a very important point, and that is God is infinite and we are finite. We will never be able to learn as much about God as there is to learn. So that means that we will forever being we will forever be learning new things about God. Forever. So we will always heaven will always be a place of growth and growing is something that's necessary to happiness. Mhm. I read in the the last chapter of the book of John and he says that and I suppose that if all the things Jesus did were written down. The whole world could not contain the books. Imagine things that we're going to learn that would have been written in those books. There's no end. There's I mean, no end. I mean, you know, there's a, I mean, just about Jesus himself, the whole hidden life when when he was when Jesus was was a child mm-hmm. and a teenager. I mean, just those things. Uh, but 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 uh, Jesus is the truth, and He's the way, and the truth, and the life. So it's not just Jesus that we, that that there's not enough words for. It's all the, the, that what we have to learn about the truth of life and about the light. It's 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 incredible. You can't get your mind around it. You you can't just. That's why my book is a short book because there's no reason to make it a long <laughs> long book. Yeah, uh, well, I'm point. not going to get any more information in it. You know, I mean. There's only so much. I just try to impart a vision to people in this book. Yeah. We'll take a little break. Anthony DeStefano is my guest. His book is called The Travel Guide to Heaven. We'll be back. with Anthony DeStefano. He has written a book called The Travel Guide to Heaven and got a nice comment from uh, one of the listeners named Beth. She said, a musician friend of hers said, all music will be in perfect pitch. (laughs) Imagine what that's going to sound like. Nobody singing off key. (laughs) That's going to be pretty spectacular. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting, Anthony, when you uh, hear about people make descriptions of heaven and in the back of your head, you're going, you don't have a clue. I mean, you don't have a biblical clue, I should say. Um, and I'm not criticizing uh, people's biblical illiteracy, but, you know, there's there's comments often made about heaven that I think, um, boy, you would be way ahead to study what the Bible teaches about heaven. Yeah, I, there's a, that's why there are so many. You have to be so careful as a Christian when you look at any of these TV shows on, you know, different, you know, uh, cable networks that that purport to talk about angels or heaven. You know, they take such liberties with Scripture. They just they just completely distort it. What we, what we know is that 
there is going to be a resurrection. Mm-hmm. We know that there's going to be a resurrection. We know that we're going to have, at the end of time, bodies. We're not going to be angels. We're going to have some kind of bodies. They're not going to be the same kind of bodies. They're going to be glorified bodies, something like the body that Christ had mm-hmm. when he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Now, that gives us certain clues. The, the body, Christ was able to do amazing things. He was able to eat mm-hmm. with his body. He was able to breathe. At the same time, he was able to be in different places. Uh, you know, one moment he was in Palestine, the next moment he was 50 miles away. You know, in this life, you know, the... the um, the will is often a slave to the body. You know that that spirit, the the flesh is uh, the the flesh is weak. The so the spirit the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In heaven, it will be the opposite. In heaven, the body will be at the service of the will. It'll be in complete union. So if you want to do something, and it will be in union with God, you'll be able to do it. Wow. You know, so that gives us that that gives us will give the glorified body incredible uh, powers. Uh, so that's as much as we can say, really. And what I said earlier about heaven being uh, filled with beauty and, and, and you know, color and sound and life and activity. It's not going to be less. The point is this, that the life that we have on he- in heaven is not going to be less real than the life we have on earth. If anything, it's going to be more real, more active, more joyful, more fun, more of all of that. Yeah. So when I think of the resurrected body of Jesus and there was there was n- nothing in scripture that where comments were made other than he had his visible scars from the nails, but it's uh it it is a amazing uh thought to ponder that well, he, he was uh, able to eat. He was he able ate to a eat piece of fish. Yes. And he breathed. Yes. He was able to breathe. In other words, the same the same lungs that were gasping for air yes. on the cross are are breathing today in heaven. The same heart that, that 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 was beating on the cross is beating still in heaven now. In other words, the the heart, the lungs, they're operational. They're you know, so so. There's something there that we can grasp onto. Of course, we cannot possibly know exactly how things will be, but in other words, it'll be something more similar than what we commonly imagine. It won't be heaven. Won't be something completely, totally other, totally different. There'll be something similar. You know, and that's what people who are afraid about dying can grasp onto, mm-hmm. you know. Now, Anthony, uh, um, when you were younger and you started working on this book, there was uh, quite an influence you had from C.S. Lewis. Tell us a little yes. bit more about that. Well, I've always been uh, influenced by C.S. Lewis. I, 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 uh, I wanted to be a writer and I had just become committed to my faith again, and uh, I happened to be reading. Uh, I happened to pick up a copy of the Screw Tape Letters, and I read it on a train when I was in uh, England, London, going up to Manchester. And I read it cover to cover, and then when I got to the end, I, I, I turned right back to the first page and started reading all over again. And I said, "My goodness, uh, the, here's the uh, writing about." about the most important thing in the world here, about God and about spirituality, and yet he's doing it in a way that's simple and clever and funny, and it's for all Christians. 
you know, that's very, very important. Right now, you know, Christians, you know, there's still many differences between the different denominations and faith traditions, but we face a common enemy. There's an anti-Christian enemy out there, people that are, you know, there's a, there really is a cultural religious war going on right now with, with, with people who are really fighting against our values. And we've got to band together uh, as Christians, and C.S. Lewis is the perfect model for that kind of author. And so all my books are written so that the you know the great majority of of Christians can can say amen to 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 everything in those books. Mm-hmm. When you were uh, researching this book and and starting to write it, did you do any um, informal uh, survey asking people what they think heaven is going to be like? I did. I did a lot of reading. I I really did a lot of research. I read every single book on heaven that was out there. Um, in fact, this book came out before Randy Alcorn's famous book on heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I just I read everything, and I said, you know what? I'm going to take everything in all these books, and I'm going to try to distill it into to one shorter book that is that that is easy to digest. And at the same time, I'm going to try to make it fun. I'm going to try to make it in the in the in the form of, of a travel guide, mm-hmm. you know, so that that people because so many of these books about heaven they're so heavy uh, that that it takes all the pleasure right out of them. And and yet this is the happiest subject. In the world. So I wanted it to be playful and fun while at the same time theologically correct. That mm-hmm. was my goal. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any particular responses that uh, you remembered when you were asking people what they thought heaven was going to be like? Oh, I got every single response. I'm the sure usual you did. about the clouds, yeah. the, the angels, and, and a couple of people, you know, I mean, informed Christians know about the resurrection, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember that the year before I wrote the book, I, I had uh, a lot of people in my family died on me, unfortunately. I went to something like uh, 11 or 12 funerals, and I sat there at all of these funerals listening to the sermons. And, and the preachers were very good, and they said everything they were supposed to say, but none of them really drove home this point about the, the fact that, that we're going to see these people again in the flesh. We're really going to see them again. We're going to be able to see our mother and run up to her and hug her and kiss her and feel the warmth of her skin and hear her voice again. And they they didn't emphasize that enough. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book for once and for all that emphasizes emphasizes this joyful Christian belief in the resurrection. Mm. That will be a glorious time of uh, reunion of body and and spirit. And our glorified bodies, I'm curious as to, I can't wait to see what that's going to be like and to see everyone in their glorified bodies and enjoying the fellowship in the presence of the Lord, uh, where the only light will be Him, and it'll be absolutely stunning, amazing. It is, and you know, one thing I do, uh, one point I do want to say before we end, I know we're coming to the end here, is that is that heaven, uh, when Jesus speaks about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, he just, it's interesting, he doesn't just speak about a future reality. He doesn't just speak about heaven being in the future. He continually speaks about he- the kingdom of heaven is alive now. And he talks about heaven breaking into this world. And what he was trying to say, I think, is that you know the kingdom of heaven is, is a way of living. It's a way of, of being in union with God now. And if you live according to the true Christian faith, really, truly live in union with it now, then you're going to get a, a, a part of heaven is going to break into your world. And you're going to experience some of heaven in your world. No matter what, you're going to have a peace that transcends understanding. No matter, it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience pain. But it means that no matter what, you'll have a peace and a joy that nothing, that no one can take away from you. Mm-hmm. Anthony, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, tell uh, me and my listeners about the Grumpy Old Ox. 
Oh, it's a new Christmas children's book I have out right now, and it's uh, it's uh, it was illustrated by New York Times best-selling artist Richard Cowdery, who also worked with me on The Donkey That No One Can Ride and several other best-selling books. Uh, quickly, the book tells the story of a mean-spirited, prideful, grumpy old ox who who's lost his sight. He's practically blind. Uh, but he happens to be present in the stable in Bethlehem just at that moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born. And so he's able to experience a, a miracle because of the, the, the power of God's grace, a miracle that affects his sight, both spiritually and physically. Yeah, I watched uh, about an eight-minute video uh, a couple of nights ago of the Grumpy Old Ox, and it was absolutely charming. <laughs> Thank you so much. You sat through my nasal New York voice reading that book. Well, I kind of was hoping it was you. I was pretty sure it was you. Well, uh, and you did a be- you did a great job. And thank you. And you're right about the illustrations and uh, everything. It's it's absolutely charming. Well, thank you so much. You know, there there aren't enough books out there about the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, you know, this book is not about Santa Claus and decorations and lights, as nice as those things can be. This mm-hmm. book is about Jesus. And and secondly, I wrote the book in order to begin to explain to children the central message of Christianity, which is that faith in Jesus is what leads us to resurrection and uh, and new life. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, doing the show, and I hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks. Same to you and all your listeners. Yep. Anthony DiStefano has been my guest, a travel guide to heaven, and uh, you can also uh, go ahead and do research on The Grumpy Old Ox. That's a brand new book he's got coming out for uh, Christmas. We'll take a little break. An hour or two is just ahead. Jeff Redorn will be with me the whole hour. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.